Thanks, Nancy. So we're getting closer to our building move. Uh, November 30th is the last day that we can be in here, which is a Wednesday. Uh, so basically right after Thanksgiving, like the, the timing of this is, is like, what's the worst timing we could pick? And then we'll just do one less than that. So the worst timing could have been like Christmas week, but we're going Thanksgiving week. It's actually the week after Thanksgiving. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but it looks like this Thursday, we're actually going to close on the other building uh, and, and we're going to be able to pay cash, which is phenomenal. That's right. And we're going to have money left over which is even better because you don't want to move into a new building with all the, the challenges of a new building and not have any money to be able to spend. And, and then we'll, we should still have some in the bank unless the Boba tea truck like takes up too much. No, actually, the, uh, our broker, uh, uh, Nicole, I can't remember her last name, she has like gone way over the top to really help us out. So for like the last two to three years, we've been working with her she keeps us on track. So if we forget to sign a paper or send the check in for uh, whatever, she's like emailing us, hey, did you get that? Or she's texting Julie, hey, I need this or whatever. And she's like always really nice. And so as because we've sold this building, uh, she got a good commission. And so she's, she's basically paying for the boba tea truck. Now, it's not just boba tea. Apparently, there's a bunch of food that goes along with it. So you may not want to eat because it's completely paid for by her. Uh, so that, that's going to be a lot of fun next week. So Thursday, we're probably going to close on the building. Our goal is to have the keys in hand by Friday uh, and then we're going to start walking through it and bringing in uh, all the different contractors and stuff to be able to look at what needs to be done, how much it's going to cost, prioritize that list. I don't know if it will be that following Saturday. Uh, I don't have my calendar up. Or the Saturday after that, um, we're going to have a walkthrough with the entire church. Uh, we'll also have a work day, kind of combine the two. Uh, we'll go through kind of cast vision as to how we can expand the building in the future and, and different things like that. But there's a lot of weeds in front of it. So if you got two hands and you can pull weeds, we could use your help. There's going to be stuff that we're moving here over to there uh, over the next two months because we, we'll have that building. We're putting in security and, and we're going to be fixing lights and fixing toilets and, and a lot of different things like that. I'm sure if you want to help, uh, please talk with Daniel. And, and Daniel's like, oh my gosh. He was the one that was leading worship this morning. So he's like, oh my gosh, all these people are going to come talk to me. Uh, we'll also have a sign-up sheet. And if there's something that you're, like, you really want to help with, let us know. Like, uh, we'll have a little space for that on the sign-up sheet. Uh, but we're going to have probably two or three work days between now and then, uh, a moving day or two. Uh, all the stuff, like all the lights that are here, all the sound panels that are on the wall, that's all going. All these chairs it's going to be a lot of work, especially that week right before we move in. Uh, so basically, our first service in the new building is going to be uh, the first Sunday in December. And we'll, and we'll do a, a nice Christmas theme and stuff in our new building. And, and hopefully, we're trying to work on a marketing campaign for that neighborhood so that we can get a bunch of people in there for Christmas as well. So a lot of work to be done. Uh, get ready because you're going to start hearing stuff. Now that we're going to have the building in hand. Now we can start to work. Everything else has been kind of prep. So Yo Snyder is going to preach this morning. Uh, we're going through lessons from Joshua. 
And Yo is going to talk about Joshua chapter 2. So, thank you. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> and first of all, I just want to say thank you and good job to all of you. There is nothing more beautiful than a united, galvanized, determined, resolved church. And, and that's what we've been seeing um, during some unexpected challenges that our church has been facing. So you guys have been doing an awesome job, and I just wanted to thank you. You know, Pastor Matt and Pastor Steve, they've done a great job with this church, but it's God who's been doing something special here, and it's God who's going to continue to do something special here, right? So even though we're facing some challenges, the fact that you guys have been so united and, and galvanized and supportive, that's been awesome. So I just wanted to, to thank you for that. Um, and I, I wanted to start today with a little homage to our, our former pastor, Matt, because we all remember what his favorite part of the service was, right? Yeah, that's right, the dad jokes. So uh, Autumn started this past week officially, right? And you all know why it's Humpty Dumpty's favorite time of year, right? Because he always has a great fall. Yeah, that's right. Uh, more importantly, though, did you know why birds actually fly south for the winter during the fall? Do you know why they do that? Because it's so much easier than walking. Why would they, why would they walk south for the winter? You fly. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and finally, did you, did you hear about the um, scarecrow that won the Nobel Prize? Yeah, he was outstanding in his field, and so they figured he deserved a, an award. Okay, okay, one more. Why is it so easy? Why is it so easy to trick a leaf in October? Because they'll fall for anything. Yeah. That's why we don't pass out rotten tomatoes before service. Or canned tomatoes, for that matter. Can you imagine? Like, chuck it up there. Concussion. Alrighty, so, uh, Pastor Jeff asked if I could help out and uh, preach today, and I said, sure, that'd be great, and what would you like me to teach on? He said, you know, something encouraging, something that builds some faith, something that would just, you know, be uplifting for the congregation. I said, okay, great, I can do that. What, what am I going to be teaching of? He said, uh, Joshua chapter 2 about the prostitutes and the spies. Thanks so much, see ya. I'm like, okay, prostitutes and the spies. Yeah, sure. We'll see how that goes then. <laughs> so thanks for that, Pastor Jeff. Uh, so we are in Joshua chapter 2 today. Uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV version as we go through this, and we'll just see how this goes. Uh, I want to look at the main players in this chapter, all right? So there's three main players in this chapter. So we're going to look at um, how they had a role to fulfill in God's plan and how they were willing just to go right to work to fulfill that role and to follow God's promises and God's plan. So we're going to look at Joshua, we're going to talk about the spies, and of course, last but not least, we're going to talk about Rahab the prostitute. So let's start in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, uh, as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, before I go too much further, I just want to point something out. Do you guys remember what God talked about with Joshua in, in chapter 1? Do you remember what God did over and over again? He was encouraging him, right? He said over and over again, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. He kept making these promises to him. And he told Joshua like no less than four times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And why did he keep telling him that? Why did he say that Joshua could be strong and courageous? Well, if you look in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Okay, so here's my thing. 
pretty much the whole first chapter of Joshua is God encouraging Joshua, telling him, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, you can go into the promised land and not be afraid of anything, I am going to be with you wherever you go. Everywhere you set your foot in the promised land, I am going to give you that land. You're going to have great success. I'm going to be with you. Over and over, he tells them that, right? So Joshua assumes command. He takes over. He tells everyone, hey, good news. God's going to be with us everywhere we go. We don't have to worry about anything. God's going with us. Everyone's like, all right, that's great. And then what's the first thing that he does? He sends spies to go check things out. So I find this kind of interesting. Why would he send spies to check things out? I mean, God already told him, I'll be with you. I'm giving you the land. You're going to have success wherever you go. And then Joshua sends out spies. Why would he go out and do that? Is he already doubting God? Is he actually really afraid and he was just putting on a bold front? You know, I don't think so. If anything, I think this move shows Joshua's prudence, his wisdom, and I think it demonstrates his faith. Here's the thing. God's going to make promises to us, but when he does so, it's going to require some work on our part. If we've said it once, we've said it lots of times. God is not our genie, right? We might think that God is singing, you never had a friend like me, you know, whenever he makes a promise, right? But I hate to burst your bubble. He's not singing that. He's not our genie. He may be a friend like we've never had before, but he is not there to appear in a puff of smoke, go, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Right? I think Joshua knew that. He understood that. And I think there's a few things that we can deduce about Joshua that explains even more why he did what he did. So Joshua was Moses' aide for a long time, right? Helped him out. That implies to me he must have been pretty good administratively, organizationally. He was good at helping to carry out instructions, helping to delegate, help make sure that plans are being taken care of, right? Also, he, he was a military man, which implies to me he's probably good with tactics, probably good with strategy. So when he decides to send spies to Jericho, it's not because he's doubting God. It's because he has so much faith in what God is about to do. He decides, I'm going to put my skills and the knowledge that I have to work to follow God's plan. I'm going to do what I know how to do to start following God's plans and promises. Does that make, am I making sense? Okay. You follow me? Okay. There's a saying that I really don't like, because I think it misrepresents the Christian experience. And get ready, because I'm going to get on my soapbox about this a little bit. Our small group has heard me talk about this, so they're like already rolling their eyes. Okay, have you ever heard the term blind faith? I, I don't like that term. I really don't like that term. And the reason I don't like that term is because I don't think there is such a thing as blind faith. For a couple reasons. One, God rarely, if ever, asks us to do anything blindly. Now, I'd like to say God never asks us to do anything blindly, but you're told in premarital counseling, you know, you shouldn't use always and never. And so I've learned not to do that. So that's, that's why I'm saying that God never asks us to do anything blindly, right? And the reason I say that is because if nothing else, if we can't see anything else, we can see him. We know him. We see him, we see the things that he's done in our lives. We've seen the things that he's done for us in the past. We see what he's done for all the people in the Bible that we read about, right? So even if we can't see anything else, even if we can't even see our next step, we know God. We can see him. 
So we're not walking out in blind faith. Now, the other reason I say this uh, is because God has given us skills, abilities, knowledge, know-how that we can put to work. Granted, we may not see the whole plan. We might not even see the next couple steps of God's plan. But I'm willing to bet that we can see enough that we will see areas where, like, I could do something there. It's been well said that if you want to see a great work of God in your life, go to where God's already working. Joshua knew where God was working. He saw that God was getting ready to take Israel into the promised land. He saw God was making these preparations for that. And so he put his experience, his knowledge to work, to be prepared as possible and to work with God as God carried out his promises and plans for the nation of Israel as they went into the promised land. All right, so application time. Here's where the road meets the road. What skills, what abilities, what know-how, what knowledge do you have that you can put to work for God's plans? We can see what's happening in our church right now. Jeff just talked about it. We're getting ready to move. We got a lot of changes coming up. There's a lot of work to be done. We don't know what the whole plan is. People keep asking, are you going to rebrand the church? I don't know. Who's going to the next pastor going to be? We don't know. There are some things we do know, and there's some things where we can start applying our abilities, our skills, and our know-how to start working with God as he takes us through this next season. We're told in Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. Joshua's prudent. He acted with knowledge, and he took measured steps to be prepared as possible to follow the promises of God. And that's why he sent spies to scout out the land. All I'm suggesting here is that maybe we could do the same. Let's be prudent. Let's act in our knowledge. Let's do our part as we see how God is working in our lives, in our church, in our city. Now, what about these spies? Who were they? Well, here's the thing. We don't really know. But according to Jewish tradition, these two spies could have been Caleb, who you might remember uh, went with Joshua the first time they spied out the land with Moses, and they're the only two that came back with a good report, right? Now, the other one's kind of interesting, and again, this is not biblical. This is just according to tradition, but according to tradition, the other spies thought to maybe have been high priest Eleazar, which I find kind of interesting. It's like a priestly spy? Really? That's kind of cool. I've heard, like, the Vatican has, like, their own spy network, so, you know, it kind of makes sense. Maybe that tradition started here. I don't know. Maybe the Vatican was like, well, you know, worked for Eleazar. Why not have our own spy network? I don't know. I just find it kind of interesting. Now, what exactly did these spies do? Did they walk into the local casino, order a vodka martini, shake and not stirred? And, you know, and then they started casually asking some questions. So oh, those Israelites are pretty scary, aren't they? And, you know, people are like, hey, wait a second, they're one of them. And they're like, oh, no. And there's like a big kerfuffle, and they're fighting in the casino, and they have to dive out the window. It shatters. They spin around, shoot a grapple hook up with this guy, lower themselves down. They dust off their tuxedo. I'm like, well, that was shattering. You know, I, I don't know. I'm sure it wasn't anything like that. That's just my imagination getting away with me. But whatever they did, they eventually ended up at Rahab's house, and they took shelter there. Now, it's kind of interesting. Uh, throughout history, Bible interpreters have kind of struggled with the idea that Rahab is a harlot or a prostitute. They don't like that. Good Israelites will never associate with a prostitute. God would never send his, you know, holy people to associate with a prostitute. And so they've tried to, you know, claim, eh, that's not quite the right word. She was an innkeeper. The Bible's pretty clear. That's what she was. She was a prostitute. I don't know what to tell you. And 
this might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but let's, let's be practical here. If you're a spy, prostitute's house, not a bad cover. Lots of people coming and going all hours of the night. No questions asked. No names. Kind of makes sense if you're a spy. Now, although we don't know much about these spies, what they did, who they really were, I mean, it's pretty obvious that they, like Joshua, were faithful and ready to put their skills and abilities to work in following God's plan. In fact, if you think about it, if it really was high priest Eleazar, who was the other spy, I mean, talk about being willing to go to work. No, this, I'm the high priest. How could I ever possibly go spying? That's beneath me. That's not priestly at all. He didn't have that attitude. He had an attitude of like, what needs to be done? Oh, you need an extra spy? Fine, I'll go do that. You're probably thinking, what happened to the rest of the spies? Well, Caleb and Joshua were the only two that came back with a good report. All the other spies died out with all the rest of the people in the land as they wandered around for 40 years. They probably didn't have a spy program to, you know, create new spies. And so Eleazar was like, all right, fine, I'll do that. <laughs> and what's more, these spies, whoever they were, their willingness to go to work as a part of God's plan, had far greater consequences than they could have ever imagined. And we'll, we'll get to that here in just a bit. Okay, so now you're thinking, like, dude, you've only covered one verse. I thought you said we're doing Joshua chapter 2. We are, hang on, we're going to accelerate our pace here just a little bit. So, uh, verse 2, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So somehow these spies, they got discovered. I'm thinking it's when they dove out the window and they had like a big fight in the casino and that wasn't very subtle and it kind of blew their cover. Whatever it was, somehow they found out that there were spies there. So in verse 3, Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. I love this. This is like, like the plot thickens, right? Not only does Rahab hide the spies, but when the king's men come asking about them, she misdirects them. Oh, yeah, I think I saw those guys. They're kind of tall but sort of short. They kind of had, like, light but dark hair, maybe balding. Yeah, I did see them. They went that way. Hurry, you'll catch them. Off they go. <laughs> She's taking quite a risk for these guys, right? These are guys who are coming to spy on her home to figure out how to conquer it. She's helping them out. So the question is, why? Why would she be willing to take such big risks for these guys? Well, if you jump down to verse 8 in Joshua chapter 2, it says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now listen to this. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This kind of blows my mind a little bit. 
There were Israelites who saw the things that she's talking about that didn't make this strong of a statement of faith. <laughs> she just heard about this, and now she has no doubt whatsoever. Your God is the God of heaven and earth. Here's what I find interesting. Rahab was so convinced. She had so much belief in God and the plans he was about to execute, even though they were against her city, Jericho. She was actually willing to commit treason in order to do her part for God's plan. I mean, that seems kind of extreme, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. She's hiding the very men who are going to go back and tell Israel everything they need to know to conquer the city. And she does it because she believes God is bigger. She believes God is so big, his plans are going to go forward with or without her. And she decides, you know what, it would probably be better to go with God than go against him. Which, by the way, is probably a good idea. So, she, like everyone else in this story, does what she can. She does her part. She puts her skills and abilities to use, and she goes to work to do her part in God's plan. And again, it has a bigger impact than she could have ever imagined. And some people struggle with Rahab, right? Because they're like, yeah, she did her part. She lied. It's like, well, yeah, I'm not going to struggle with the moral implications of that here. Is it okay to lie? Is it part of God's plan? We're not exploring that. But Rahab was willing to do whatever she could to follow God's plan. Okay, so we're going to speed through some of the rest of the story here. So Rahab and the spies, they make a deal that's going to spare Rahab and her family's life. The symbol of that deal is a scarlet cord. By the way, I don't think it's any accident that the symbol of Rahab and her family's salvation is scarlet, by the way. That seems to have some, you know, indications there. Um, again, that's a whole other sermon. I also think it's interesting that in verse 21, it says that Rahab immediately tied that scarlet cord to her window. In essence, she didn't waste any time putting her faith into practice. She had faith that God had a plan, even though that plan was, you know, to destroy her city. She had faith in the men who made her a promise. I mean, think about how much trust she put in these guys, right? They could have said anything to get out of there, but she believed them, and she put her belief into action by tiling that scarlet cord right outside the window. So the spies, they go back, they tell everyone, hey, good news, they're afraid of us, and there's much rejoicing in the camp, yay! And then... Um, they're just excited because everything that they've heard from God has been confirmed by the spies going out and doing all this. So they're, they're ready to go. Now, here's the thing about Rahab. Rahab's a very interesting character because she's not just mentioned here in Joshua. You know where else she's mentioned? She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Now, that's the chapter that some people commonly call like the hall of faith or the heroes of faith. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith... Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Don't you find this kind of fascinating that Rahab the prostitute is in the heroes of faith? Rahab decided it's better to be with God than against him, and her actions are remembered in the Bible because of that. She's also mentioned in James 2.25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Again, I find this kind of interesting. James is talking about how, you know, faith and works go hand in hand. Our works demonstrate our faith. And he uses Rahab as an example. She was willing to put her faith to work. She did what she could to be a part of God's plan. And she's mentioned here because of that. And then there's one other place where she's mentioned that's truly fascinating. Matthew 1.5. It's giving us a genealogy. 
I know most of you already just fell asleep as soon as I said the word genealogy. I'm like, oh, you're going to talk about genealogies now? What time is it? Good. Yeah, she's mentioned in the genealogy. But it's not just any genealogy. You know what genealogy it is? It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. She is a part of the line and heritage of King David all the way up to Jesus Christ. Rahab the prostitute. You're like, how did that happen? Well, apparently she married one of the princes of Judah, and she became a part of that line. And it's so fascinating that the genealogy doesn't mention really the prince of Judah that she married. It mentions Rahab. <laughs> Isn't that intriguing? It just blows my mind. Now think of this. If Joshua hadn't sent spies and just sort of, you know, like God made promises, let's just go. Or if the spies hadn't shown, chosen Rahab's residence, or if Rahab hadn't chosen to hide the spies, or if the spies hadn't chosen to make a deal with her, or if they hadn't chosen to, like, keep their deal with her, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, are you saying that Christ would never be been born? No, I'm not saying that at all. That's not what I'm trying to point out here. What I'm trying to point out is each of these people had what they thought was a very small part to play in this, but the impact of their role had a significant impact on history. They had no idea. Do you think Rahab was thinking, I'm going to do this because someday I'll be in the line of the Messiah? Never occurred to her. They could have never imagined that the fact that they were just like, I'm just going to do what I can do. I'm going to go to work and do what I can for God's plan would have the impact that it had throughout all of history. So here's the thing, no matter how small or insignificant you may think your contribution is, you have no idea how much impact it's going to have in God's kingdom. And if you're thinking, I am not worthy to be a part of this, God doesn't know what I've done, he doesn't know what I've been involved with, there's no way I have any role or part in playing in the church, <laughs> Rahab the prostitute is part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I think you can fit in. I'm just saying, it doesn't matter. You have a role to play, and God is happy to accept your part. Zechariah 4.10 in the NIV says, Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that reigns throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. You know what I'm trying to say. You're probably thinking, well, that's like a weird verse to end on. But the point is, we shouldn't despise or look down or trivialize what we think are small things. Our small thing is a lot in the hands of our God. Your small contribution will have a bigger impact than you will ever realize in the kingdom of God. You have skills, you have abilities, you have know-how, you have knowledge. God wants to put it to work as a part of his plan. The big question is, how willing are you to go to work? So we have Joshua, we have the spies, we have the prostitute Rahab. They all had different roles to play in God's plan. But the thing that ties them together is that they were all willing to do what they could to fulfill their role. They were all willing to like, all right, let's go to work. What can I do? What's my role? How can I fulfill it? They didn't wait for God the genie to like, poof, what do you need? They knew God had a plan. They saw where God was working, and they were ready to do the same. 
we have the same situation in front of us. Um, not just for the church, but probably in our personal lives as well. There's probably areas in your life where you're like, where are the promises of God? Where's his plan? What's going to happen next? We don't always have all the answers. But we know enough to take the next step. We know enough to start going to work. We know enough to start applying all the things that we know, the abilities that God has gifted us with, to start doing something as a part of God's plan. And we should never let any concern about the significance of what we're going to do to slow us down. We don't know what the significance is. Only God knows that. Our role is like, all right, let's go to work. One thing I do know, absolutely, for sure, if we don't do anything, we definitely won't have any impact for God's kingdom. Which, quite frankly, is sort of sad and pathetic. So the question is, are we ready to get to work? Are we ready to start changing lives? Are we ready to follow God's promises? Are we ready for the adventure of a lifetime? Because I can tell you what, following God and his promises into the promised land, that is the adventure of a lifetime, and I don't think any of us want to miss out on it. So look where, for where you can fit in, look for where you could do something, and join in on the adventure. It's going to be awesome. All right. Now, I've been talking a lot about, you know, our church situation and what's going on, but maybe you're someone who hasn't accepted Christ yet. Maybe you're not someone who's following Jesus, and you're like, well, I don't know how this applies to me, but I would like to belong to something. I feel like I want to feel significant. Well, you can. Around here, we say it's easy as ABC. First, you have to admit. You have to admit that you've fallen short, that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior. B, you have to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is that Savior that you need. Believe that he's the one who paid your price for your sin. And then C, confess. Confess Christ as your Savior. Say, Lord, I need you in my life. I want you to bring significance to my life. I want you to show me what my role is in your plan. You do those three things in a short little prayer, and prayer is just talking to God. Your life will be changed forever, and you'll be joining in on the great adventure, and I don't think you'll ever regret it. And if you want to pray with someone about that, at the close of the service, we're going to have people on either side here who will pray with you. Uh, the prayer team this morning, uh, they were listening, and they heard some things, and maybe this applies to you. They're someone with tooth pain, someone with a swollen ankle. Been there. It's not pleasant. Back pain or heart condition, someone struggling with disappointment. I don't know if any of those things, you know, apply to you. We also heard something about baldness. I'm not going to say who we thought that applied to. But if you need prayer, come and get prayer. And come and be a part of God's great adventure. Thanks so much, guys.